Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about the good and bad of mass evangelism. Mass evangelism is great. I, I can remember growing up in the 80s. I know it's hard to believe I can remember that, but I remember growing up in the 80s and I was invited to church and there was a speaker who was incredible. He had this testimony that was unbelievable, probably similar to yours, although yours has been verified by family and friends. So I believe yours at this point. (laughs) I'm not sure I still believe this guy's uh, testimony at all. Um, I won't say his name just to protect the innocent or guilty in this situation, but he had this testimony that was outlandish. Like he, he was a Satanist. He performed all these satanic rituals, blah, 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 Christ saved and whatever. Right. Came out later that he was, this is, this was all lies. Okay. But I remember going. That actually happens to people. It did actually, yeah. yeah. So More I went to this event people. and there are thousands of people there. And I'm a teenager, yeah. don't know much about church. I'm just like, this story is so amazing. I want to hear it. So he shares the story, gives an invitation. You know, half the crowd probably went forward. And I just thought, I didn't go forward at that point, but I was like, man, this is an interesting, as a lost person, I was like, what is happening? You know, what is just, just processing the whole thing. I had a friend who he didn't go to church either, but you know, he's like, you know, then he followed the invitation up with a mass giving time. Wow. (laughs) Surprise. Giving for him? Uh, Well, you know, to the ministry. Okay. To the ministry. Anytime someone's ministry is named after them, I'm always hesitant. The honorarium that had no honor because (laughs) it was uh, self-promoted. But man, that invitation, the giving invitation was like three times the the invitation invitation. So I don't know why I'm going down that road other than to say I have seen some negative mass evangelism. And then likewise, we've had a guy in who, who spoke, who was legit, um, brought in crowds of people, incredible story. You know, I'm Jay Strack. He amazing testimony. If you know, his testimony is a little similar to yours as well. And man, just a great man loves the Lord. And my best friend went forward. I was already a believer at the time, invited him great opportunity to see lots of people trust in Christ from a legit person sharing. So what are some of the ups and downs, the good things, the bad things when it comes to mass evangelism? Yeah. So, okay. So let's define mass evangelism. One of the uh, neat things about uh, being in the seminary is, uh, or going through seminary is one of my doctoral classes was on mass evangelism. Wow. So I actually wrote a 20-page paper on mass evangelism. <laughs> I'd like to say I'm surprised. Single space, yeah. I'd like to say, if there's any topic out there, I'm thinking, I wonder if pastor's written a, a, a paper on that. Yeah. Like the JFK, we've talked about this before, the JFK assassination. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a conspiracy theorist. So... How long was the paper you wrote on the conspiracy? Well, this was in college, but I wrote a 40, it was supposed to be 12 to 15 page paper on, this was like a final paper to get out of English, you know, 301 or something. One of my majors at one time was English along with about three others. But anyway, uh, I turned in a 42 page paper on a conspiracy theory from why I believe Lee Hall with Harvey Oswald was a patsy. And uh, I, I took a, I may have taken a trip. The to opinions the, on this show are not shared by everyone. Yeah, right. in the, now you are strongly convinced when I took, now you I to will the say, I, I will say that I was convinced it wasn't the paper, but what's interesting to me is that you spent 42 pages on Lee Harvey Oswald and JFK and only 20 on mass evangelism. Well, there's not much to say about mass. No, I'm playing. I may have gone to the grassy knoll for R and D for that paper, but anyway, we digress. Okay. Mass evangelism, just to be clear is an attempt by people to proclaim the gospel 
to a large crowd of people simultaneously. Okay, so that's what mass evangelism is. Let's just say right out the gate, we're not against mass evangelism. When I first started preaching, uh, people don't know this, but for the first like five years of four and a half years of my ministry, I wasn't a pastor. Uh, I was quote unquote an evangelist. When I married Candy, I wasn't pastoring a church. I was quote unquote an evangelist. So they would bring me in. I would again, like this guy, share my testimony. Uh, I would preach over the top, in your face, now or never, turn or burn, today's the day sermons. And uh, they would bring me in. People would get saved. In fact, if I didn't. If I didn't see like 50 or 100 people saved every event, I would leave and think I was a failure. Okay, now my theology was a little off back then, but I was a new Christian for about a year or two. Old. But can you th- give us an example of how your theology was off? You've said it a couple times. I want to know how was your theology? Uh, my can theology I? was off in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> I mean, golly. we don't have to go down that I road today. To think, but that, yeah, that's yeah, a great idea for a future that. podcast. That is a good idea. That's that's that podcast with sermons for another day sermons podcast, for... <laughs> which my son Rick says you ought to do. Daddy, you ought to do a whole series sermons for another day. <laughs> Okay, I so, would well, I would listen. I'd, listen. I'd come to that. Okay, so mass evangelism. I used to uh, be the guy that came in. Mass evangelism has been helpful to the church through the years. I mean, golly, people listening may have said, "I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. I got saved at a an evangelistic revival." I mean, yeah. praise God for that. I'm not discounting that. What I'm saying is, there could be a dark side, if you will. There could be uh, a shadow. Uh, to the goodness uh, of, of mass evangelism. So let's just give a history of mass evangelism, okay? Did it start with Whitfield? No, uh, kind of with Wesley and Whitfield is kind of how it started in America, okay? Both of those guys in two successive trips came to America, and they started what was called open field preaching. Now, you have to remember, these guys were preaching in such a way that was just open air and they weren't necessarily calling people to walk an aisle or sign a card or respond. Here's another insight. I wrote my whole dissertation on the invitation. I spent a year of my life studying and researching the invitation. This is your doctoral? My doctoral dissertation. dissertation. Wow. Yeah. But So here's what I found. Prior to uh, Finney, really, Mo- Moody somewhat, but Finney really. So we're talking end of the 18th century here. We're talking prior to that. You have no record of anyone, uh, I mean, it's 19th century, sorry, 19th, 1800s. You have no one giving a public response time to repent, to walk an aisle, sign a card. Today's the day of salvation. You won't find it in history. Now, you will find people saying, repent and believe. I mean, that's biblical. Jesus did that all the time. So in my, in my dissertation, I make a biblical case for not necessarily giving an quote unquote invitation to walk in aisle, sign a card, say a prayer, repeat after me. If you say, uh-huh, or yes, at the right place, we pat you on the back and you're saved. That's a modern invention. You'll never find Jesus stopping a man and say, hey, repeat after me. You'll never find that. You'll never say, you'll never find Jesus say, hey, if you're interested in following me, I want you to sign a card, come forward, uh, raise a hand, and uh, say the right word. He doesn't say any of that. What Jesus says is repent and believe and go and sin no more. Okay? So I started to study this, and I realized Moody started it. Okay? Um, Billy Sunday continued it. Charles Finney, uh, in a sense, um, collated the idea and, and uh, codified that's what I'm for, codified the idea into more a formalized approach. Okay, here's what he did. Finney decided that people needed to be able to respond in the service 
at any time if God was working on their heart. So here's what Finney did. Finney set up a bench in the front of the service, and he called the bench what, Dylan? Pop quiz. The pop quiz answer is... Dylan, do you know the answer? Dylan, we can't get Dylan's mic on. We, we finally have Dylan a mic, and now Chris cannot get his mic working. Dylan, say it out loud for the audience to hear. Oh, this guy knows the mourner's bench close. The morning, I would have, I, I was guessing something I, I had not going to say. I was just going to say like the altar, which okay. is, is uh, way off. Yeah, that's wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the front. Yes. But, that, but, but I've always thought that was funny because when I used to say this years ago and I corrected myself because I used to say, Hey, if God's working in your heart, come to the altar. Here's the problem with saying that. What is the problem with saying on Sunday, come to the altar? Technically, the altar is gone. It was destroyed with the temple in 70 AD. So we got a big problem here. So mass evangelism was this idea where people in the service, if they were repentant, if they were burdened over their sins, they could walk an aisle, sit in the front, front and wail during the service. You talk about all eyes on you. Imagine in the middle of my sermon, I'm preaching. I'm at point number two. All of a sudden, I see a man walk to the front. He's sobbing. He takes a seat in the front row. Are you listening to me anymore, or are you watching this guy sob in the front row? Oh, I'm watching Captain Sober. Yeah, and so then you have a, 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 a just a plethora of people just start walking and walking. And so Finney f- was the first one to really formalize the invitation. Then who took it and made it uh, par for the course, if you will. In fact, this man made it to where if you don't do this, you're not saved. And now, I have a lot of respect for Dr. Billy Graham. I, I've been to his home in North Carolina. I've had the privilege of spending time with him. I love and respect him. I've wrote my dissertation quoting him. I'm not discounting Dr. Graham. What I'm saying is this. He made the invitation response time the goal of the Christian life. Okay, That is the end, the crescendo, the purpose. So now what happens is the entire Christian life, in a sense, is compartmentalized in a prayer that you pray at the end of an evangelistic sermon. And so I think, Chris, mass evangelism, while good at times, I mean, people preach, people preach crusades, people get saved, people preach evangelistic messages, people respond, praise God. But here's the problem. What do you think the problem is when you have an evangelistic message and you share, you need to you know, say a prayer, walk an aisle, come forward today, receive a Bible, let us counsel you. What is the downside to that? The downside, right after we come back from this break. What if you could hit the reset button on your ministry? Imagine connecting all the dots for spiritual growth, having an aligned staff. Imagine multiplying a mindset for everything you do in your ministry, managing the direction for consistent growth in your ministry rather than being stuck in the cycle of stagnation like so many churches. Mm -hmm. The disciple-making jumpstart is the reset button for your church or ministry. Go to disciplemakingjumpstart.com and check it out today. And we're back. The question was, what could be some potential downsides? But before we get into the answer of that, okay. I do want to say that you are not in any way criticizing Billy Graham. 
No. You are simply talking about the culture that can often come out of, hey, here's, here's what success looks like. We see thousands of people responding. We're thinking this is what we have to do to be successful. So the culture that was created as a result, yes. which was not necessarily intentional by Billy Graham by any means. Let me give you a backstory yeah. of what I'm talking about. Here's a perfect example. I just want to clarify because no, I know I, there are going to be some people who are like, I can't believe he doesn't like Billy Graham, no, no, which I, you said numerous times that that's not the case. We're all about evangelism. Let's say here. it I mean, one more time. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> want to see people say we want to see people baptized, baptized right. here. Uh, I've always been that way in my ministry. Okay, let me give you let me give you a, a for instance of what I'm talking about. When my friend David Platt wrote a book called Radical, mm-hmm. um, when the book came out, people were telling me, "Hey, have you read the book Radical yet?" Yes. My response was, "I've lived Radical <laughs> with David. I was his assistant. I heard all these sermons. You were I, there when in, during the writing stage. Yeah. yeah. No, I did read the book. Okay, I did read the book, which was very convicting. When David wrote the book." And I asked him about this. His intention was not to create a new justification by which a younger generation validates their ministry. What do I mean? What happened as a byproduct of the radical message? I wanted to go sell my car. Not only you. Immediately. Not only you. Every college student in America. So that this is what happened. There became this dichotomy between younger college students and older ministers. That if you had anything nice, you had to not be a Christian. If you bought a new car, there's no way you're following God. If you lived in a decent house, there's no way you're following God. If you have new shoes, there's no, I mean, the list goes on. And so what they did was, and what this created was, a whole generation that was justified in their faith, not by Christ alone, but by the fact that they sold everything they owned and went to the mission field, okay? Now, here's the problem with that. I'm not saying that's wrong. If God calls you to do that, he called the rich young ruler to do it. I'm not saying he's calling everybody to do that. But if he's calling you to do that, you do it. Here's the problem. The problem is you don't have to look far to realize that not everyone in the ministry was poor. Okay? Let me give you three of them. Uh, Nicodemus was pretty wealthy. He was the leader of a synagogue. He was, a, he was part of the Sanhedrin. Pretty wealthy. To be that way, you had to be pretty well. Joseph of Arimathea, very wealthy. How do I know this? Because at the end of Jesus' life, they say, where are we going to bury our Lord? What does Joseph of Arimathea say? He says, I've got a tomb just hanging out, there you ready go. to go. You're on it today. See, it's early, but you're on it. Thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> My favorite thing to do, by the way, that we got to get a camera in here. I'm telling you, we have to get a camera in here. We, people... Well, newsflash, just, okay. just so you know, we will be recording the podcast soon every episode video you're talking about will be available yeah because y'all have to see chris's face every week when i put him on the spot and ask him these questions and my problem is i always think it's gonna be a trick question no matter what you ask i'm thinking this well is normally a trick it's question. a softball no matter what i'm gonna say yeah that's the thing no matter what you're gonna say it's a trick question. overthink it okay here's the thing joseph of arimathea said oh not only do i have a, a a place but i own a funeral home in a sense i've got a tomb nobody had tombs back then my favorite is erastus Erastus in the New Testament followed Timothy and served with Paul on a number of occasions. Erastus went to Rome with Timothy. He hung out with Timothy. In fact, Paul talks about Erastus in Rome. Now, here's the question. Who's Erastus? E-R-A-S-T-U-S. Go look it up online. I went to Greece years ago, walked. Chris, you're going to see this uh, in, I can't in, wait. in March. In, I, in fact, I mean, we actually are going to Greece That's right. in March 2020. I think we still have spots if you sign up quickly. Uh, but we're going to walk and see this with our own eyes. In the city of Corinth, which was a port city, very expensive city. In Corinth, what would happen is people would come in. They had technology to lift ships out of the sea, 
carry them over land on logs and put them back on the West Coast and save them hours and days of travel. You had to pay that city a price or a tax for the port. Guess who was the treasurer of the whole city of Corinth? I'm going to guess Erasmus. <laughs> Bingo. Like Ooh, I two for thank two. goodness. Two thank for goodness. Two. See? That was Once a again, I was thinking. That was a softball. But here's the deal. And how do we know this? Liberal uh, scholars hate this. Because they've always said, people, the liberal scholars say, you know, all these, guys, all these names in the Bible are made up. These are not real people. These are not real guys. I mean, how could a rich man be a follower of Christ when they were mostly poor people following him? The archaeologists have uncovered underneath the ground, when they pulled the ground back, the main thoroughfare in the city of Corinth. When, when someone builds a road in honor of themselves, they do it with great humility, but in honor of themselves, they etch... <laughs> They etch their name in the road. I'm going to take you to this place. We're going to walk to this road, and we're going to see with your own eyes, Erastus City Treasurer. City Treasurer. Now, here's the thing. I've, I've preached this in a sermon before, but could it be, how could Paul, as a tent-making, bivocational, broke-traveling preacher, how could Paul make world travel and trips around the world with that salary? You ever thought about that? How in the world could he, he fix sent, he tents sent out and a make lot, tents and He sent out all the support letters. He did. But my suggestion is this. His main backer was Erastus. Now, for those who say, oh, you've got to be poor. Well, maybe. So, so the whole point is David Platt didn't write that book to try and teach that theology, Right. I used just, to say years ago, just to side note, then this is me lost, but I used to say uh, rich, being rich doesn't buy happiness, but broke don't buy nothing. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, so I don't know what, that's, I don't know what I, that means, but that was back when I was I lost. still don't understand it, but it sounds good. <laughs> um, okay, back to mass evangelism. Let's yes. get it back on track before we get way off. Yeah, track. We've, we've gone too far away. Okay. Coming back. Here's the thing about mass evangelism. I don't, here's the point of the story. I don't want us to think that the good that, that was done in a certain area, I don't want us to think that the person intentionally caused that. Billy Graham set out to change and reach the world with the gospel. Thousands and thousands of people got saved. Praise God for that. Here's the flip side of it, though. The flip side, I think, Chris, is that we have said, without saying, the end goal of the Christian life is to get a lost person to repeat a prayer so we can pat them on the back, give them the gospel of John, send them home so they can suck it up and come back to church next week. And here's what we've created. Whether they do anything for God is optional. Whether they go on and serve the Lord, optional. Here's what we've done. We've said salvation's essential. You know, say a prayer, repeat after me. Following Jesus is optional. In that paradigm, when mass evangelism is, is pushing this now or never turn a burn mentality, here's what changed it for me. We'll close with this. Uh, I was in the Philippines on my first, actually my second overseas mission trip. First was with David Platt in Indonesia. I'll tell you that story. The second was with a friend named Jay Atkins, who's a pastor in Louisiana, and his father, CJ. They took me to Dumaguete City in the Philippines. They had asked me. I was only... I mean, I was only a Christian for like two, two and a half years at this point, uh, three years. I was three years. And uh, they said, we want you to come to the Philippines and preach your story and share the gospel at a crusade in Freedom Park. Still remember the park, Freedom Park. Now, here's what's cool about Freedom Park. 
there were three schools that let out basically at the same time. Two high schools, one college, and the students would convene in the park, and then they were they hired a local worship band from the community, and then when the band plays, the band drew a crowd, I'd get up and preach, okay? Worked perfectly. And just like that, people showed up. Hundreds, thousands of students showed up. I still remember the message I preached. I preached Ephesians chapter 2. I, I took out a Filipino uh, dollar, a piece of currency. I, get, I think it was like a $20 bill. I called one of the students up. I was demonstrating grace. I gave him the dollar. I said, do I know you? No. Did you deserve this? No. That's grace. And then I said, that's what God wants to do for you. He wants to give you the free gift of grace of his son. Hundreds, if not thousands of students got saved that day. When I gave the invitation, Chris, they came to the front. Day one, came to the front. Day two came to the front. In fact, we ran out of Bibles day one. So many people responded. The Bibles we shipped with us, we ran out. And on the second day, here's what the Lord convicted me of. As they were taking the lights down and it was dark outside and they were packing the instruments up and the students were walking into the night never to be seen by us again. I mean, this is a typical crusade. The Lord spoke to my heart and I felt like I was asked this question. Who's going to invest in them now? Are you leaving them worse off now than before than to get them hyped up to make a decision, repeat a prayer, and not help them grow in their Christian life? And I'm not saying they're worse off. For, I mean, nobody's worse off for going to hell. I get that. But the reality was God convicted me, and I thought, who's going to disciple these people? Who's going to invest in them and, and help them grow in their faith? It would be similar to you having a baby coming to our church, and we say, hey, we, we're sorry, we don't have any workers in the children's area, but put your newborn infant in the room. But, oh, they, she'll be fine. Just close the door, and oh, by the way, somebody will be there later. Would you ever walk into the church, put your newborn baby in a room by herself, throw a bottle in, and say, hey, babe, we'll be back after church. Feed yourself. No. You'd never do that. Yeah. Here's the problem. We do that every week. We call it the church. Hmm. newborn babies born again in the kingdom of God coming to saving faith with Christ when they get saved quote-unquote born again we pat them on the back and we say see ya feed yourself hope you're there next week and we wonder Chris hmm. we wonder why we're in the predicament we're in with undiscipled disciples lining the padded seats and pews of our church in America Wow, that is strong. Once again, we will talk. We'll probably talk more about this subject in the future. I have a feeling. But if you enjoy the podcast and you want to help us out, if you want to support us, uh, whether you listen on Spotify or iTunes, go give us a review and share with your friends uh, the Make Disciples with Robbie Galley podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.